glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me, please. Exodus chapter 3, we'll start reading in verse 1 and go down through verse 10. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me just establish, if I may, with the Lord's help, the typology. We understand the nation of Israel was a physical people. Their their physical father was Abraham. So they are the physical descendants of Abraham. They were in a physical land of bondage. So what we see physically here is a picture of a spiritual truth. Let's be very clear. When we are transferring the physical things we see concerning Israel to a spiritual application, we are not teaching replacement of Israel with the church. Okay, There are those who teach what's called a replacement theology that's become a fad in our day. It's unbiblical. It is, it is the theology upon which Catholicism is based. We can understand why there is priesthood in what is called Christian churches today, whether it be Catholicism or Anglicanism, uh, even some other uh, uh, denominations, if you would, of so-called Christianity. The reason you'll find a priesthood is because they believe uh, at some level that the church replaced Israel and therefore needs to maintain some kind of a formal priesthood. May I say, if you're born again this morning, you're a priest. You have access to God through Jesus Christ. He's the great high priest, and you and I are to serve him as individual priests. That's Revelation, by the way, chapter 1, verse 5, that we are made kings and priests unto God. And so the old system is fulfilled in the new. Not, uh, not, it's not bad, but the point would be this. We're going to make some application between Israel and the people of God today, the church, but don't confuse what we're doing. We're taking physical truth that's taught in the Old Testament, and it is symbolic or typological of spiritual truth. So you have a people that are in bondage to another physical people. The physical nation of Israel in bondage to the physical nation of Egypt. The Egyptians were oppressing them as their taskmasters. The Egyptian is a picture and a type of the world in general. Throughout the Bible, it's not always that type, but almost always Egypt is simply a type of the world system that lives on pride and lust, builds itself up, makes itself great. That's what Egypt was. God did not send Moses to deliver all of Egypt. He sent Moses to bring a people out of Egypt. How many of us understand what the meaning of the word church is? It is a called out assembly. Called out of what? Called out of the world. That's why God tells us, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. God today is not, He did not send the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. He knew in sending Christ into the world that every soul would not receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, He sent Him into the world to call the people out of the world. Who does He call out? Those who will believe on Him. Amen? 
Those who put their trust in him are that called out group. It won't be a full assembly until we meet the Lord in the clouds. Until then, we meet locally. Amen? It's a local assembly. All I say is to say this. Therein is a picture established that God was going to send in a deliverer named Moses to bring out of Egypt a people for himself. Even so, God has sent Christ into the world to bring out of the world a people unto himself. And that is the first picture we see of this. But Moses, in this account, not only typifies Christ as the shepherd that would lead Israel out of the world, but he typifies you and I as well. He was a human who served God. He was someone who listened to the Lord and served him and we'll see him in that light today. And we'll look at this text today in three parts where God appears to Moses in the burning bush. And if you read the rest of chapter 3 and you read chapter 4, it basically sounds like an argument between Moses and God. God worked hard with Moses to get him to the point to realize, I am going to use you to deliver my people. I'm calling you to do this. And, uh, and there's some application in that for us today as well. But what I want to see, as I said, three parts in this text the manifestation of God's presence, the message that he gave of his purpose, and the mandate upon Moses regarding God's plan. So let's begin verses 1 through 6. We begin this text with God manifesting himself to Moses. Now, once again, it's been 400 years since Joseph. You have a period of silence where really we don't have a record of God moving among the people of Israel. We end the Genesis chapter 50 with Joseph dying and him saying, When you leave Egypt, take my bones with you. He didn't know how long that would be. He just knew God had promised that they weren't going to stay in Egypt, that he would bring them out and give them the land of Canaan. So he said, when you leave Egypt, then you bring my bones with you. Then we come into chapter 1, and you have had 400 years of silence. It's very interesting. Between the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the beginning of the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence where God just... He's not, there's no record. There's no, doesn't mean God wasn't working, but there's no written record of what he was doing with his people. God went silent there. May I say this? Never mistake God's silence for God's absence. Never mistake God's silence for God's absence. We read the book of Esther. You know how many times the name of God is mentioned in the book of Esther? Not once. God's name is not mentioned once, but his hand is evident. There are times in our life that God is not necessarily evident. And what we find here is God's eyes and his ears were upon his people the entire time. He never shut his ear to them. He never closed his eyes. There was a purpose he was working out in their lives. And there's a time frame that's at work here. Moses now is ready. Uh, He is ready to hear God. He has had this experience as a shepherd. By the way, you know what Moses will do for the last 40 years of his life? He's going to be a shepherd. He's going to shepherd people, not sheep. And so never mistake God's working in your life. Do you think Moses got on the backside of the desert and thought, well, I guess this is what I was born to do, water and feed sheep. That's what he did for 40 years. Took care of his father-in-law's sheep because he was afraid if Pharaoh find him, he would kill him. So he ran in fear, just like Jacob. We saw Jacob a few weeks ago. Ran in fear from Esau and hid for 20-some years in Laban's house. And then as he returns... God is working and preparing him. May I say this? God does not sleep. He does not slumber. Nothing catches him by surprise. All right? Now, I do not believe for one moment that because of God's uh, ruling and reigning that he overthrows your ability to make choices. But nonetheless, you can see the hand of God at work. And now that Moses has been shepherding these sheep for 40 years, he is ready to transition. God's going to do something else. So God decides to manifest himself to Moses. But we won't want to miss how he does it. And so the way that God chooses to show Moses, I'm among you, I'm present, is a burning bush. Now, how many of you have seen some what we call tumbleweed out here? You find some sage or something growing. The other night, I'm I'm trying to start a little bonfire, and I had some old tumbleweed laying there and threw some lighter fluid on it. Man, it just, it just, I mean, it, it dissolved almost instantaneously. I don't know what kind of bush this was for sure. We could guess at it. But what happens is, let's read again chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Now I don't know that Moses understood at this time it was the mountain of God when it occurred. It's just this is what's going to be known as. And we say, well, where is Mount Horeb? We can guess that it's Mount Sinai based on the context of Scripture. But here it's called Mount Horeb. Here's what's important. It's the mountain of who? 
God. This is where God was, was going to meet Moses. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. That's what got his attention. I'm assuming you might on occasion see a bush in the desert on fire from a lightning strike. For some other purpose, you might see it on fire. But Moses observed, here's a bush on fire, but it's not burning up. It's burning, but it's not burning. It's, it's, it's burning, but not consumed. And we don't want to miss that. There's typology in it as to what God was working. God is getting ready to spell out His plan of deliverance. We would call it the plan of salvation. He's going to spell out to Moses, I have a plan to deliver my people. But before Moses can work for the Lord, he's got to have a good comprehension of who this God is. No doubt Moses had heard about Jehovah God. No doubt Moses had exercised faith in Him. By leaving Egypt, by forsaking Egypt, Moses had exercised faith. But God is working specifically in the life of Moses to manifest Himself to him. We say there was an angel in the bush. If you're like me, you get some picture of some winged creature in the middle of the bush. May I say this? An angel simply means a messenger. It doesn't even, God decided, I want to communicate with Moses, and here's how I'm going to do it. My means of communication is going to be a bush on fire that's not burning. And throughout the plagues, what you're going to see, God later, I believe it's chapter 4, would tell Moses, cast the rod down, and the rod would become a serpent. And then he said, take it back up. Now, I would have no problem casting it down. But the grabbing it back, that's where I'd have a problem. Then he said, put your hand in your bosom. And he did. And he said, pull it out. And it became what? Leprous. He said, put it back. There's a theme. What does fire generally do? It consumes. What does a snake generally do? Especially if you're in Egypt, where they have mambas and such. They bite you and kill you. What does leprosy generally do? It eats away at you until you die. All of these are symbols of destruction. The fire is a symbol of God's judgment, God's wrath and judgment. Throughout the Bible, we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, our God is a consuming fire. Yet the context of Hebrews 12 tells you how to know this consuming fire without being consumed. May I say this? There is a, there is a, a pulling back generally among what is said to be Christian culture on dealing with the justice and judgment attributes of God. There's a withdrawing. It became popular through a period of time in a a form of evangelism. We do not want to emphasize the wrath of God, the judgment of God, lest people might be interested in hearing. Just talk to people about the love of God. May I say this? You cannot understand the love of God without understanding the wrath of God. And the burning bush is a picture of both. I am God enough to burn this bush and God enough not to at the same time. I have the power to consume, but I'm willing to deliver. There's a picture in the bush, and the messenger to Moses is a demonstration of the power of God, but of the pity of God all at the same time. And so when this takes place is important. In the spectrum of history, it's important to understand that God had waited long enough until Israel was longing not to be part of Egypt, but to be out of Egypt. May I say this, when God saves you, He's got to, and before God can save you, He's got to get you to a point where you realize this world is cursed in sin and you'd rather have the Lord than the world. God has to work to get your attention and mind before He can save us. He's got to get to a point where we realize because of the corruption that the consuming fire of God is a reality, that He's a God that does consume, and that's all encompassed in this type in this burning bush. So when is important, when in the life of Moses is important, because God has been preparing him to involve him in his plan of deliverance, when in the nation of Israel is important, when in the nation of Egypt is important. Pharaoh had gotten to a point where he had no room for God. We understand Pharaoh is a hard man. I love asking the question, who hardened Pharaoh's heart, God or Pharaoh? And the correct answer is yes. Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Bible makes it clear. But the Bible also makes it clear that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That he might destroy him. God had made a decision. I'm going to destroy that hard-hearted oppressor of my people. And in the process of destroying him, I'm going to deliver them. Is it possible that God can be mercy and truth at the same time? Grace and truth all at the same time? 
And that is what we see in the portrait of the burning bush. We find that God says, Moses, I want to manifest... God could have manifested himself to Moses in so many ways. You think about what a fire does. A fire indicates some form of life has been around. If it was started by a human, if it started by God, there's a fire here. There's power in fire. There's heat in fire. There's light in fire. All of those are pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world. You know what? We watch a fire burning every day that doesn't consume. How do you know that? Right now. It's been burning for thousands of years. It's called the sun. People that ignore the sun are missing something. That sun, S-U-N in the sky, is a picture of the sun of righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ. Burning without consuming. You know what? If you and I approach too close to the sun, you tell me what would happen. (laughs) <laughs> if we, how, some of you mathematicians, how much closer does the earth need to be to the sun before it would just wither us? Inches. Do you realize God hung the earth precisely at a distance from the sun where it can bless us instead of curse us? God is revealing himself to Moses. And may I say this, before a person can get saved, there has to be a revelation through the word of God of who just exactly this is we're dealing with, his holiness and his righteousness and his power and the power that he has to destroy, yet the purpose he has to deliver. There's a burning bush. And so as Moses sees that burning bush, I find it so interesting that God has manifest himself. It makes it very clear that's what's taking place in the angel of the Lord. So this this messenger, it's not just a sign to be seen. God wanted to say something to Moses. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. He didn't say, I'm going to see why is it on fire. Again, that wasn't uncommon. I want to understand why is a fire that would normally destroy not destroying? And the Bible says two key words in verse 4, and when. Talking about when this happened. What does God do? Where is he doing it? The horrible mountain, the, the, the backside of the desert. So it's just Moses and God. God's working personally in his life. But when is in the spectrum of the history of Israel, of Egypt. But in a moment of time, God did not actually begin to speak to Moses until Moses paid attention to what God was doing. May I say this? Psalm 37, I believe it is. Psalm 36 maybe. says, In thy light shall we see light. God had put a sign in that desert, a burning bush that wasn't burning, in order to get Moses' attention. And you know what? God didn't get specifically speaking to Moses until Moses said, That's not normal. And I want to figure out what's going on. There's a similar text in the New Testament. And don't miss me here. There's an application, so please don't miss me. Uh, The disciples are on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. The Lord Jesus has said, go to the other side. And a storm came. And the Bible said they were toiling and rowing all night long. Toiling and rowing. They had made inches of progress over hours of time. And the Lord Jesus comes walking on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of the night. And the Bible says, and he would have... Does anybody know the Bible scholars here? What does the Bible say he would have done? He would have passed by them, but they cried out. When they saw a human being walking on water, one of them said, Lord, is that you? That was Peter. And if it be you, bid me come. You know what the Bible says Jesus would have done if they had ignored him? He'd have walked right onto the other seashore. Now, that's just hypothetical. He really wouldn't. No, he would have. Had they not cried out, you know what I believe? Had Moses been so disinterested in the things of God, all he was interested in was sheep and raising those sheep and not concerned with what God was saying. Here's my lesson. I believe the application is for us this morning. God will intervene in your life. And I'm not talking about dreams and visions. I'm talking about working in your circumstances, doing things through the Word of God. Maybe give you a message and you say, how in the world is that preacher prying into our affairs that he knew to preach that today? Don't give a preacher so much credit. Preachers are ignorant creatures that are just trying to do what God tells us to do. That's just about the whole of it. And we say, how does that preacher be, how can he know the affairs of our life? He doesn't, God does. And we have an opportunity to say, Lord, what is this? What is this that's going on in my life? And God will intervene. He'll give you some light from His Word. He'll give some stirring heat from His Word. And we can ignore it and go on in life. Or we can be by like Moses and say, What is this that's going on? Moses paid attention to what God was doing. 
God was speaking to him. May I put it to you this way? God has put in everyone the consciousness of his creation. And if you ignore creation, you're not going to pay attention to the Bible. But when you say, you know what? There's something in my conscience that says, if that ball of fire can hang in that sky for 6,000 plus years without burning out, providing heat and life to this planet, that's got to be more than happenstance. If you're foolish enough to believe anything besides that, God will allow you to be. It was when Moses turned aside to say, that's not normal. The, the natural would be for that bush to be consumed. God has put the supernatural in our sight that we might respond to Him. I believe Acts 17, Paul said it this way, that if happily we might feel after Him. Meaning, God has spoken to us first. He has spoken through creation. He has spoken into our consciences. Moses, as he's going along, understood that's not a normal aspect of creation and the way the world works. I'm going to pay attention. And it was when he paid attention to what God was doing in his circumstances that God opened up and gave him a message. You and I must be attentive. You read the book of Proverbs. You and I will never hear from God unless we pay attention to God. And the Bible says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. God has already initiated uh, contact with us, if you would. God already sent His Son into the world, raised Him from the dead, and ascended Him back to heaven. God has already sent preachers of the gospel uh, in the first generation of Christianity. The Bible went into all the world. You say, what are you trying to say this morning? That in the life of Moses, God is about to articulate to Moses a plan of salvation that not only applies to Moses but to his people, but the first thing Moses had to do was be attentive to the one who caught the bush on fire without it consuming. And I believe in all of our lives there's opportunity for us to hear from God if we'll just stop and say, what is this? God's speaking to me, what is he trying to say? Many times we're content to move on, but may we be like Moses. And the Bible says, when he turned aside, verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, got a question. Couldn't God have done that before he turned aside? Couldn't have Moses been walking along and he hear a voice saying, Moses, who is that? Is that coming out of the bush? But that's not the way it worked. God simply lit the bush on fire and let it not consume and he expected Moses to notice that and be wise enough to respond. You with me this morning? God has revealed himself enough already for us to respond to. And it's when we respond to what he said already that we get more specific direction. Someone says, God never speaks to me. Is it that he never speaks or that we're not paying attention to what he's already said? It's when we pay attention to what he said that we get more light. So when Moses turns, then God begins to speak specifically and calls Moses by name. That ought to tell Moses something. Whoever lit that bush on fire knows him by name. Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. What God's saying, I want you to come near to me, but you've got, let's look at this practically and figuratively, you've been traipsing around on this old earth, and you're corrupted with things that I'm not willing to accept. So you've got to modify who you are in order to get nearer to me. I already said this. I believe Joe, Moses is already a justified man here. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about getting near God. What is it? As God draws us near to him, what's the Bible word for that process and that working in our life? It's called sanctification. God says, Moses, I want you to be closer, but if you come, try to come closer as you are, it's going it's to consume you. Is that not the same picture as the bush? I'm a consuming fire that could consume this bush, but I have no desire to consume the bush. Moses, I'm a consuming fire that could consume you, but I don't want to consume you. Some people's perspective of God is just, he's just an angry dictator just waiting to see who he can lick up with his powerful wrath. Others' view of God is that he's a benevolent grandmother never willing to use his wrath for any reason. But the truth is he has power to destroy, but he has a desire for fellowship. Is that not what's taking place? God says to Moses, draw near, but take off your shoes. Your shoes are defiled with the filth of this world, and I want you to clean up that you might come near. Is that a New Testament principle, by the way? If you want to be near to God, you need to clean up? Oh, yes. James chapter 4. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Verse 6. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. This was not written to unbelievers. It was written to believers. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy into heaviness. Uh, uh, humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, that he may lift you up. Well, you know what God is saying is, I want you near, and I want to, I want to lift you up, but you, if you want to be close, then you're going to have to get the things out of your life that keep you distant. Moses' shoes were defiled with the filth of the earth, and God says, Moses, I want you to come close. I've got something to say to you. And this first point this morning is, is geared toward those of you, you've already trusted the Lord. You've already taken God's side and said, I would rather be identified with Christ than with the world. I want His salvation. But God would say to you, I want you near, but I'm still the same God. I am, he says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You know what God is saying to Moses? In all these hundreds of years, Moses, I'm the same. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, and I was the God of Jacob, and I was the God of Isaac. He said, I am. I am their God. Meaning, he is not, God is not changed by culture. Had the nation of Israel's culture changed in those 430 years since Jacob? But God was the same. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You say, what does that have to do with this message this morning? Because God has not changed, God's way of salvation has not changed. God has not become a postmodernist. God has not become a tolerant God, nor has he become an, a... a, a a vengeful God in the sense that he delights in destroying the wicked. We have both extremes in operation in our country today. We have those over here, some form of so-called evangelicalism that really is preaching a form of universalism, that God is so loving and God is so kind that it doesn't really matter how you respond to him. He just loves you. He does love you, but if you approach him in your sin and filth, it will destroy you. He's holy. However... You have the angry Calvinists over here that say God is so sovereign that he loves destroying those who aren't part of the elect. And he handpicks beforehand. And if you weren't picked to be a believer, you just can't be. And God's sitting up there just, ah, he's angry with the wicked every day. That's what the Bible says. Is it not what it says? He is, but he also does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. He would that they would repent. Who would he have repent? All men. Everywhere. What we see in the burning bush is he is a consuming fire. But he's made a way that we can approach the consuming fire without being consumed. Does that make sense? That way is through faith in Jesus Christ. We enter and approach God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what we realize Moses believed in Jesus Christ before he ever knew what his name would be? He was willing to suffer reproach and the reproach of Christ and esteem that greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, the Bible says in Hebrews 11. So we see the manifestation of God's presence in verses 1 through 6. When it was and where we have and what, meaning how did God manifest himself and who is it that's manifesting? The same Jehovah God, the same the same God who created the heaven and the earth, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God clearly declaring to Moses, I have not changed, my character has not changed, and I, the same God of your fathers, am speaking to you, meaning the same God that promised to deliver those people out of Egypt, I'm at work today, Moses, and I'm in work in your life. Then we come into this, uh, the message of his purpose. So verses 1 through 6 is the manifestation of God's presence, but then verses 7 and 8, he gets into the message. Now he's told Moses, you take your shoes off and come near. And I, he's wanting to say something to him it's in verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. I love this statement. It's jumped off the page of me the entire time I've studied this message. For I know their sorrows. My mind immediately goes to Isaiah chapter 53. He's a man of grief and acquainted with sorrows. God says, I know the sorrows of the people in Egypt. I know what the taskmasters are doing to them. I know their sorrows. Verse 8, and I am, not I will or I shall or I was, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, 
unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. It is as though Jehovah God is saying to Moses, Moses, I know you trusted me enough to leave Egypt behind and come out here, and now I am working to deliver my people out of Egypt. I know the sorrows of their taskmasters, and I'm, I've got a plan in place, and I'm going to deliver them. I've heard their cry. I've seen their affliction. Here's what I'm doing. He's telling Moses all about this, giving him an understanding. I've come down to deliver them and to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. And I can hear John 10, 10 and 11 in my mind. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God says, I have come to deliver them out of Egypt from the slavery and to give them Canaan. Canaan's not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the abundant Christian life. In Canaan, there are still enemies. There are no enemies in heaven. They're all cast out. So don't ever mistake Canaan land for heaven. It's not. Canaan land is the life of victory by faith. And so God is telling Moses, I'm not only planning to deliver them from Egypt, I'm planning to give them a land of abundance. And so he's beginning to spell out his plan for his people and the purpose of salvation he has. He says, under the place of the Canaanites and so forth. Verse 9, Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I've also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. In this two-verse message that God gives Moses, we have a picture of salvation. That physical salvation God planned for the Egypt or for the Israelites out of Egypt is a picture of the spiritual salvation God has planned for those who will trust Him out of this world, Jew and Gentile alike. So a number of things we'll point out here. Number one, the Lord reminds of His power to destroy. We are reminded that He has power to do destruction through that burning bush, but He has a purpose to deliver. God's whole reason for speaking to Moses, he had already demonstrated to him, I have the power to destroy. I could lick everybody up. But my desire is to save a people out of there. The taskmasters are a picture of what? Somebody help me this morning. The taskmasters who were oppressing God's people are a picture of what? Sin. The wicked, the Bible says, the wicked will be holding in the cords of his iniquity. Meaning sin is like handcuffs. The Egyptians were, were like the, the world system that promotes sin under the God of this world. Pharaoh, a picture and type of Satan, promoting sin and oppressing people, using them for his own advantage to their own harm and destruction. And at some point in time, the children of Israel had cried out of reason of their bondage. We are grieved under our taskmasters. You know the gospel is given to today? The person who is grieved under the taskmaster of sin who says, I just want free from that. I'm, I'm desirous to be free. When you can begin to see that sin is not your pet, sin is not your friend, sin is not something you use and then you're done with, sin uses you to glorify the author of sin. That's what sin does. And God says, I want to save my people. I said it was important, the timing. You know what? What Israel had experienced was... And what you're hearing there is a heart of repentance, if you would. That's the correlation to us. Someone, instead of defending their sin, when I hear someone still defending their sin, I really can't go forward in giving them the gospel. The gospel is not good news as long as you want to continue in your sin. But when you want saved from it, when you realize my sin is a, is a wretched taskmaster that is beating me and ruining me and using me and driving me into the ground, oh, that I would be delivered God's ready to hear you cry and help. And God had a, a plan and a purpose, and he communicates that to Moses. Now, I wonder why he's communicating this to Moses. If you're Moses, wouldn't you be standing here saying, why are you telling me this? I'm glad. I'm glad that you've heard. I mean, was Moses being, was he being ruled by a taskmaster? Moses is a picture of a saved person. He's already free from Egypt. He's out of there. He'd already cut his ties, counted his costs, and said, I'm done. May I say, there's a lot of Christians who want to live on the backside of a desert and have God leave them alone. And I believe this is our application today. My message is not so geared this morning toward the unbeliever, but as you open your Bible once God has saved, you know what God's going to start showing you? His eternal plan of salvation. You say, well, I already did it when he saved me. Oh, more than that. You're going to open your Bible and think, look, look at there. For God so loved the world that gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him... I mean, I believed that when I got saved, but that tells me God is still working in the world to save a people out for himself. And the Holy Spirit of God is going to say, you see what I'm doing? You see, this morning, we're all so busy trying to do something for God instead of just get on with what God is doing. Don't miss what I just said. 
God has been working in this world since the beginning of creation and He's doing a work now and what He's trying to do is enlist workers with Him. We are laborers together with God. God does not save us to go and bunker, hunker down and try to be a survivalist someplace. Moses had been there for 40 years. And you know what God is doing in Moses' life? Moses, I have a plan to deliver my people. And I want to tell you what I'm doing. I've heard their cry. God is communicating. I have power to destroy, but I have pity for the oppressed. That has never changed about God. There are people today oppressed under the burden of sin. Someone this morning somewhere is crying out saying, God, if there's just some way, if there is a God, would you hear me? I am beat under sin. And God's going to grab a hold of one of us and say, hey, that person over there, I heard their cry. I've made provision for their deliverance. Now you go get them. You with me? May I say something this morning? This is where the Spirit of God has led this message. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become... Fishers of men. Now the logical conclusion to that is if you're not fishing for men, you're not following who? Jesus Christ. Because when He is interested in rescuing men out of this world unto Himself, men who are oppressed under the taskmasters of sin, men who are oppressed enough that they have cried out in in hope of deliverance, and so here we have God reminding Moses, I have power to destroy but I have a purpose to deliver because I have perceived the desolation of my people. Look, if you would, Isaiah 53. I referenced it earlier. No one understands the sorrow that sin causes like the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he has a better, far better grasp on the the pain and sorrow of sin than any of us do, even though we've committed it and felt the consequences of it. Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible says in verse 3 of our Lord and Savior. Let's just go back to verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. As we look back at our message in Exodus 3, as God begins to communicate with Moses his purpose, he says, I have heard their cry, verse 7, the Lord said, I will surely... I've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows and I am come down to deliver them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him, those that have put their trust in him for that salvation, for whos- that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is is that not the same thing he says here? I have seen what sin does. God loved the world so much that he didn't sit back and say, well, you got yourself into it, get yourself out. Aren't you glad? Who can say I've made my heart clean, I'm pure from my sin? Who can say I have cleaned myself up, I'm a new creature? Not one. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. I asked a man that last week on door knocking. He told me he was going to heaven. I said, why? He says, I'm a good guy. I just, really? I said, Romans 3.10 says there's none good. No, not one. Not one to do with God. I said, what do you think about that verse? He said, I don't believe it. Can't help that one. But the fact is, it's a truth. And aren't you glad God didn't cross his arms in apathy and say, I've heard their cry, I've seen their affliction, but they got themselves into it, they can get themselves out. No? God so loved the world that he did something. He said, I am come down. Is that not a picture of the gospel? Salvation is not man going up. It's God having come down. And the Bible says in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ, also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Being found in likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know what? You know where we're headed in Exodus? We're headed right toward the Passover lamb. Meaning God says, I have provided a way to get my people out, but it's going to be through the shed blood of a lamb. He's communicating with Moses. I've heard their cry. I've seen their affliction. I am on the move to deliver them. I believe today God is, based on the Bible, on the Word of God, God is still working. We are still living in what the Bible calls the dispensation of the grace of God, meaning God still has the offer open, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Revelation 22, 17. And so we live in that period of time. God is still at work to bring men to repentance. And the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As we read these Bibles, we stand in the shoes of Moses. God's saying, come nearer to me. I want to tell you something. I've heard the cry. I've seen the affliction. I know their sorrows. I am come down. Is that not where we live? The great I am, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And today he dwells in us who believe by the Holy Spirit of God. And you know where we're going next. The manifestation of God's presence and the communication of his purpose brought a mandate regarding God's plan. God communicates with Moses. Moses, you know what? At one point in time, Moses shared God's heart. He wanted his own people delivered and he tried to accomplish that. You know who put that in his heart? God did. We come to verse 9. God says to Moses, now therefore. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. He's communicated what God is telling Moses. Here's what I'm doing. I'm delivering my people because I've heard them. And I'm, I'm familiar with their sorrows. Verse 9. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the, the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, Come now, therefore, what's he say? Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. There's a mandate attached to God's message. He says, I have prepared a deliverance for these people to bring them out of Egypt, and because of what I'm doing, I've got a job for you. Amen? You know what? You don't have to twist the Bible to make this apply. (laughs) Jesus said upon his ascension to heaven, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know what he's saying? I am come down. I have accomplished the deliverance. The Passover lamb came and laid down his life and raised up from the dead and upon his departure. And he says, Come now therefore and I will send you. You Let's read the Bible. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, the verbiage is almost identical to what God says to Moses as it is to us. John chapter 20, as he's in the upper room with his disciples, this is one of the verses that communicate the Great Commission. John chapter 20 in verse 20, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. So just like God did with Moses, he's verifying who he is. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. You know, Jesus is saying, as my Father sent me into a sin-cursed, sin-filled world to deliver salvation through my cross, now I send you into the world to preach it. We do not preach ourselves, as Paul said, but Christ Jesus our Lord. We preach the cross of Jesus Christ. You say, where, what, what is this? In this shadow of salvation, we see God manifesting himself to Moses in a very unique way to remind Moses, I have the power to consume, but I have the desire to deliver. The message is, I've heard the affliction of my people. There's a people in Egypt that are willing to take my word and let me bring them out, and I'm going to send you in to bring them out. Could not God have delivered those people without using Moses? I mean, is he not God enough to do his work without the help of men? No, he's just wise enough that he involves us in his work. I love using these illustrations because it so solidifies the truth of this. There was an angel in Acts chapter 10. There's a man named Cornelius. Uh, he was a, a just man, a good man. And he, as far as we know, is what we'd call a proselyte Jew. He had believed what he knew of the Old Testament scriptures, but he didn't know the gospel. And Cornelius fasted and prayed, meaning he wants to know the true God. And an angel appears to Cornelius 
but he doesn't preach the gospel to him. He said, send for a man named Peter. Now, who do you think would be better fitted to preach the gospel, Peter or an angel? I would think an angel, especially if you know Peter. But he said, send for Peter. And so he sent some men to a man named Ananias. I believe that was his uh, his house. And, uh, he sends him over there, and Peter is there praying on the rooftop. And you remember the story. A sheet comes down from heaven because Cornelius is a Gentile, and God is going to tell Peter, I want to save a Gentile, but you're going to go and preach the gospel to him. Same story all over again. God was hearing the cry of a man named Cornelius, but God could have. He could have preached the gospel to him without Peter, but he didn't. He said, no, the preaching of the gospel is committed to people. God could have saved Israel out of Egypt without Moses, but he decided to do it with Moses. And the Lord Jesus didn't say, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would harvest. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. And so we find that the mandate on Moses was, God says to Moses, now because of what I've told you, verse 10 of Exodus 3, and back to the story of Cornelius, let me finish there, God could have preached the message by an angel, but instead Peter is sent. Acts chapter 8, it's the same thing. God could have preached the gospel to an Ethiopian eunuch by an angel, but instead he sent Philip. It verifies for us that God has sovereignly decided to involve us in his purpose to save men. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So there's a mandate. If we know that God has made a way of salvation for those who are oppressed by the taskmaster of sin, someone has to go tell them that God has made a way so that they can believe him and be be delivered. So the mandate of his plan is personal involvement, which leads to personal investment. Again, Exodus 3, verse 10, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? Excuse me, that's verse 11. Verse 10, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So I've made a plan to deliver them. I've heard their cry, and I'm going to use you to lead them out. And Moses' answer was, yes, Lord, I'll go. No, like so many of us, Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses' first answer was, I can't do that. Who am I? Isn't that really many times how we respond? It's the pastor that's equipped to go preach to people. I mean, he's, he's studied in school and pre- reads the Bible all the time. And the Brother King in Mexico, guys like that. You know who Moses was? He was a shepherd. He was a, a washout prince who became a shepherd. He's, he had had the education 40 years ago to run the nation of Egypt, but had decided not to do that and had flunked out and trying to serve God when he didn't in his own power. So he's a flunky on the backside of a desert shepherding sheep. And God says, I want you, Moses, to go to Pharaoh. I'm working to deliver people's souls and deliver them out of bondage. And you're going to be the one I use. And instead of Moses saying, here am I, send me. He says, who am I, why me? You with me this morning? God says it's your responsibility to go tell people what, that I have provided a way for them to be delivered. I have the power to consume them, but I've provided a way to save them. And we say, who am I? God said to Moses, what is that in thine hand? And Moses said, what about what's in my mouth? May I say this? Just by way of practical illustration, we're about done. We say, I can't witness to people. I don't know what to say. And God says, I'm not worried about what's in your mouth, what's in your hand. Give them this. It doesn't matter about this. Moses, I stammer. Well, they don't need to know about you, Moses. They need to know about me. So you go to Pharaoh and you tell him, I said, let my people go. Be with me this morning. God manifests himself through this book. It's like a burning bush. (laughs) It's a flame, but it can't be consumed. In order to get our attention, it gives light, and it gives life, and it gives heat. We have to approach God the way He says. And as we do, He communicates to us the work He is planning in this world to deliver those oppressed by sin. And He says, now therefore, I'll send you. I want to ask this morning, what am I doing this morning in response? And you say, well, God hand-selected people like Moses. Yeah, but when it comes to the New Testament, the Great Commission was given to every disciple. It wasn't just given to the apostles. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that those who were in the church went everywhere preaching the word, meaning the everyday common, every member of the the church went everywhere preaching the word. 
And so today there's a mandate on us for personal involvement and personal investment to go into the world and tell the world, you have to let these people go. Christ died to tell the lost that he died to save sinners. It's his message. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we are going to read two passages and I'm done. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, the Bible says, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He said, there's some around you who don't know who God is. And you Corinthians, not you preachers and teachers only, but you Corinthians in the church, I speak this to your shame that you know who God is and others don't. We have a personal responsibility to get involved and invested in communicating God's message of salvation to those out there. Romans 10.13, we love Romans 10.13, and so we should, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's verse 13. Verse 14 says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When Moses went into Egypt, he met with the elders, and he said, God has met with me. Who? The great I am. Not the great I was, not the great I will be. The great I am has met with me and he has planned your deliverance. Here's the way it's going to happen. There's got to be bloodshed. You've got to apply that to the doorpost. When he sees the blood, he'll pass over. And many of those people believed God and were delivered. Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, God said. He didn't do it right away. He had to work his way into it. But through ten plagues, God spoke to Moses or to Pharaoh, did he not? My point is this. Because of God's work, and God's manifestation in Moses' life and God's message, it wasn't just so Moses could say, wow, that's cool. I look forward to meeting them when they come out. God was telling him to involve him. You this morning, if you understand what God did for you when he saved you, and you understand the great scheme of God's great salvation, there is a responsibility pressed upon us. How can we sit on our hands and not tell somebody else when we know what God has done to save souls? Amen? You don't have to have a pulpit like this to preach it. All you have to have is the Word of God in your hand and someone out there who needs to hear it. So how should they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach except they be sent? And this morning, the presence of God and the purpose of God involves us in the plan of God. We've got His message. If we're saved this morning, you have His presence, just like Moses. We have the Spirit of God. Number three, then, we have a mandate to go out into the world. Moses had to leave the comfort of Horeb and go into Egypt and preach what God told him. Amen. And that's our job today. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mm-hmm.